This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play. Much needed for sure, and, and uh, coming off a tough loss, uh, you know, the night before here, we, we liked our response, and we liked our process with it too. We didn't try to change our game plan. Uh, we stuck to, to what we do systematically, and, and the effort's always been there from the get-go this year, so uh, it was great to see some guys find the back of the net tonight. Boy, was it ever. Yeah, it's something we talked about yesterday, Dave. I don't want to say that, you know, we we tell people what's going to happen, but I, <laughs> I feel like we've got a pretty good pulse. I, I don't want to pat ourselves on the back. Okay, you know what, Dave? I am going to pat ourselves on the back. Well, I go right out of now. my way not to try and make predictions. Well, you, 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 you on the like other hand, that. have no problem with it whatsoever. Well, I have to. It's my background, and I've told you, I thought the Lightning were going to have a pretty good performance last night. I didn't yeah. know if they were going to win. I guess Coop said that, too. Coop's yeah. post-game. See, I don't get to hear Coop post-game uh live because you know i'm packing up and um, if we're on the road i'm i'm packing up my bag and and heading to the sure, bus sure. Yeah, yeah but i saw a quote afterward he said based on the fact it was a back-to-back he actually liked the fact it was a back-to-back because the team got to kind of come right back after a game in which on monday they did a lot of to, to reiterate they did a lot of good things but made some costly isolated mistakes that really hurt them but they probably felt that they could build off of some of the good things that they they did do on Monday. Yep. And they did do that. <laughs> it's hard to say. But Coop, I think, understood that his team had a chance to come right back less than 24 hours later and and maybe try and play much the same way with a different outcome. And that's what we got. Yeah, we Tuesday did. And, in Pittsburgh. And quite frankly, Dave, I, I think... We don't know how this season is going to play out, but sometimes it, it becomes a little dramatic when we say, you know, that's a that's a championship team type of effort and want to go that far five, six games into the regular season. But one of the things I told you on the postgame show, in my opinion, that allows a team like the Lightning to be in contention for the most part year in and year out, they don't allow, I think, long losing skids to creep into their game. And, and like I said, who knows what's going to happen this year. I think they have some guys that are still trying to develop and see what they actually have. Uh, in their game but I thought last night was a nice example of a team that said all right we need a good effort we need a good performance we kind of need our stars to to raise their level of play I thought that did happen and we need to beat a team that we should beat and and no offense to Pittsburgh Dave you know I I come from there I I talk about them I I try and be down the middle with them as much as I can I think I'm pretty fair when it comes to that Uh, with all the firepower they didn't have in that lineup that that's a team you needed to beat and while the, they certainly played the Lightning tough yeah. on opening night, that wasn't the same team we saw. I mean, they just had too many yeah, pieces no Carter, not in the lineup. No, no Carter, Letang, no Latang, no Rust. Rust. You know, obviously Crosby and Malkin are, are looking to come back. But there, there's just a lot of lot of star power not in that lineup. But that's not to say that Pittsburgh didn't get their chances. Dave, they did. I mean, yeah. you know, we'll get into the game. Rodriguez hit a couple of posts. O'Connor hit a post. But Vassy was really good, and he was better than Jari. And the Lightning made a few more plays than Pittsburgh, as they should have with the lineup they had, even with some of the rookies in there and some of the newer players still trying to to find their game. So I, I actually thought it was a very nice response by this Lightning team. I don't know what it means for Thursday, but I certainly think, Dave, they can build off of this win because I think they did do some good things. And you don't have to apologize for picking up points in late October during the season. I agreed. And they they did a lot of good things again. I think they were deserving of the victory. 
me win 5-1, somebody might say, well, how could they not be deserving of the victory? And we'll get into that because Pittsburgh had some puck luck go against the Penguins, some whistle luck go against the Penguins. Vasilevsky erased some of their scoring chances. They had some really dangerous segments in the second period that could have, if not swung the balance, at least made made the game closer going into the third. But I thought the Lightning continued to do a lot of the good things that we saw in Buffalo in terms of possessing the puck, particularly early in the game. I want to say that the first 10 minutes, Pittsburgh had very little going. And the Lightning, it looked like a wash, rinse, repeat from Buffalo in a way in that the Lightning were pressing, the Penguins were were not quite as in sync as the Lightning Jari was good, but again, like, were there any ten bellers that he that he had to stop in those in those opening minutes? Probably not, but he was really solid in stopping the shots that came his way. And then the Penguins seemed to get their legs in the second half of that first period, and that's when we had two of the bigger plays in the game, in my opinion. And one of them was Rodriguez hit the crossbar. And if that goes in, it's one nothing, Pittsburgh. And if you're the Lightning, you're like, we had a really good start to this game and we're down again? Seriously? Mm-hmm. And it was that close. I mean, I told you, I like Rodriguez. I liked him on opening night. I liked him last night. He was dangerous. Yeah, on a night in which, was. you know, the Penguins had their moments, but he may have been their most consistently dangerous forward from beginning to end last night, which is, you know, he's he's interesting. He's an interesting case study, and we had Tim Benz on yesterday, and, and Benz was saying, you know, I haven't really gotten to know him because we haven't had access to the room, but it basically, like, anything the Penguins have asked him to do, he's done and done well, and what they're asking him to do right now is, is be the number one center, and he's doing that pretty well, too. So he came really close, and then the play that I think has – has the Penguins fans, and maybe the Penguins too, pretty annoyed. They were showing this post-game. Maybe it was the second intermission when it was 3-0 on the Penguins feed. They were showing this play were you over watching it on, and over and on over Roots, again. On Root Sports <laughs> with <laughs> yeah. Jay Caulfield. The quick whistle. And that was Which I didn't even realize that was why. The, I was so surprised that there was a quick whistle because – there should not have been a quick whistle. I mean, Dave, Vasilevsky never had that puck. Yeah, that so McGinn call. takes the shot. It hits off Vasilevsky's right shoulder and kind of flips behind him, which point was in position, but didn't realize that Vasilevsky didn't have it and that it was going to drop down behind him. And McGinn got position on point and, and stuffed in his own rebound. But not only did they not allow the goal because of the whistle, and again, if the official loses sight of the puck, play is dead whether the puck is frozen or not and then adding insult to injury if that's the right way of putting it for Pittsburgh McGinn jostles with Sorelli and high sticks him in the scrum so he gets a penalty so he doesn't get a goal and he has to go to the box and the Penguins have to kill penalty which they did but that easily could have been a goal and the Rodriguez shot easily could have been a goal and and those are probably I don't know if you feel this way, Greg. In the first period, those were probably the two most dangerous chances for either team. As as much as the Lightning did well at the 
early part of the game, like they didn't hit a crossbar and they didn't score a goal that was taken away. I don't want to say incorrectly because the official did lose sight of it, but probably 19 times out of 20. Would you say the the goal would stand? So the Lightning had a little bit of, of fortune, I would say, to get out of that first period 0-0. And then in the second, the Penguins were far more dangerous consistently in the second, but the Lightning finished on the chances that they had. And one thing I was saying to you in the intermission, the first intermission, Greg, was the Penguins are shooting high on Vasilevsky. The Rodriguez shot off the crossbar. The McGinn shot that led to the rebound was high. The Lightning were not elevating their shots or elevating them enough on Jari. And look where the three goals went in. Mm-hmm. Palats was like middle of the net, but Point and McDonough put that thing in the top of the net. And it's not like they just fired a seeing eye shot. I mean, those were chances. And, and the first two goals were chances because... The guy who got the primary assist made a great play, a great one-touch play. It was Kalorn on the point goal, and it was Barry Boulay on the Palat goal. Those quick passes from the neutral zone, which was like the the middle part of the play, so there was there was an original pass from Sergachev to Kalorn, and Belmar blocked a dump in or a lead feed from Dumoulin, so it came to Barry Boulay, but that middle guy didn't hesitate at all quick puck movement and that allowed the lightning player on the receiving end of that pass to have a chance to get off an open shot and then mcdonough walks in from the point and and stampos put it right in his wheelhouse and that's a chance but look at the finish top of the net so i'm hesitant to say like the penguins dominated the second period they didn't dominate the second period they got outscored three nothing they had some dominant shifts, though, in the second period where Vasilevsky was terrific, but they were unable to make the plays that the Lightning made, which was kind of the reverse of what we saw Monday in Buffalo. And then well, look, it's, it's, and then in the third period, real quickly, like the Lightning played a textbook third. The Penguins looked like yeah. they, were, they were facing a headwind, and that was because the Lightning just bottled them up in the neutral zone. That was a textbook third period and, and a terrific way to finish when you played the night before. And the other team didn't. Yeah, no, it's a good point. You know, the the Penguins look like a team in the third period that they could get as far as the talent they had on the ice could get them. And I think Tampa Bay smothered them in the third period. I think you can make an argument. Kalorn's best shot for the, the Bolts came three minutes into that first period, Dave. You mentioned, you know, how many decent looks did Tampa Bay have. Yeah, remind me of that one because yeah, I don't had, remember it. He had a, a good shot in the slot, kind of came to him uh, right in front, and um, that was probably Jari's best save of that first period. Of course, we saw... It was the, low, though, was it not? Was that the one where... I think it was. Well, I remember one, Palat had a rebound, but they weren't on the same line, so I think it was. been it. I think it was. McDonough yeah. then has the fight with Lafferty, who, by the way, the officials missed a call there. I don't understand yeah, how you don't give Lafferty a boarding call. Dave, it seems like we can have a conversation every single day about a player who is hit from behind, and sometimes it's called and sometimes it's not. How the Penguins were able to come away with the power play in that, I, I don't know. Then you saw Corey Perry stand up for his teammate. He fights Lafferty. That shows a little emotion there. I, I, it's what Corey Perry can do. Um, O'Connor was robbed. By Vassy a little later on in yes. that first period. Yeah, he had and a chance in the first as well. Was that the one that came off the stick? 
Yeah, that was a puck luck. Yeah, can we for talk Pittsburgh, about that? Where it kind of ricocheted that? to him. Can we talk about that for a second? Because I honestly, no, no, like, no, no. you're we... talking about the one for Heinen in the second. The one for O'Connor in the first wasn't as flagrant as that loose stick on the, the loose stick. Yeah, I think right. I, that was in the second period. But yes. O'Connor, I think that was actually the first really good look the Penguins had after the Lightning had kind of carried play in terms of possession and applying pressure. O'Connor had and a again, couple. I don't good have looks. the game sheet in front of me to, yeah. to look at the play-by-play, but I would say like that was a good eight, nine, ten minutes into the game. But there was a pass into it the was. slot and it hit something and came back to O'Connor. And he one-timed it, but he put it low. And Vassy got over and made yes. the save. Yes. Um, by the way, In the officials... second period, O'Connor had a chance off the rush Down that the he left put side. high, and that hit the crossbar. Yes. Yes. Um, I-, I know we joke about it. It is, it is a pet peeve of mine. And <laughs> I, think it's a le- I think it's a legitimate point, obviously. But it's not funny. Like, we're laughing because it, it kind of is. But it's, it really isn't funny. It's lazy. It just takes one second. To pick up the stick and hold it. You know what the officials did? They probably adjusted the stick so that when Point tried to go behind the net, it, it created a perfect carom right I mean, it was slot. an amazing pass. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, like, it's like people that deliver the groceries to your door. And they don't let you know that the groceries are outside by just ringing the doorbell to let you know to get your groceries so they aren't spoiled. So where does that rank on your pet peeves relative to loose sticks or gloves or helmets on What's the that? Ice? When somebody doesn't ring the doorbell to let me know the groceries yeah, are there? Yeah, that one probably oh, that's, that's that's really higher lazy. on your list. Oh, Dave, probably. that's lazy because it just takes a second to well, ring Well, that's the what you're saying about the lines. That's what I mean. That, that's yeah. just lazy. I'm asking and it which, is, which is more of a pet peeve for you. Which is more egregious. Probably what's what's worse, spoiled milk or a frustrating goal against because the stick wasn't spoiled milk because that could have long term effects on me, <laughs> yes. Dave. I could have a belly ache for a couple of days. You know what I mean? Like, uh, who knows what's going to happen there? But you understand the point. It just to I me, do. it's ridiculous. And, what's and funny is we happen. had this very conversation. I know I mean, the season is only seven games old. We talked about this earlier this year, even. and it happened. And it just it, and that it, was it, during a lightning penalty kill. Like it was, it was a good. 45 seconds to a minute before the puck hit the stick that that stick was was dropped i don't think it was broken i think it was dropped and look you don't want to pick it up while the penguins have possession in the offensive zone of the power play you don't want to kind of get in the way i get that but the lightning killed off the penalty that puck went down the other end yeah i agree with you i mean to me it's it's mind-boggling that gloves and sticks and the dumbest thing of all when a player loses his helmet he has to go to the bench because you're worried about safety but, but the yet you can have a <laughs> the helmet gets to stay on the ice yes and the stick stays on the ice which yeah. can be dangerous and a guy can trip over it so you it know it all it, it, the officials would say you know what Braden point should not have put that puck behind the net I thought you were going to say the blame. I thought you were going to say the officials would have said, "You know what? You bring up you bring up some good points." <laughs> we we need to Well, there it. must be a reason I don't that know they don't. Are they afraid they're going to No, look, if the, the stick play? is like splintered and stuff, that's one thing. I guess sticks don't really get splintered anymore. But you know, if it's in pieces and there's some little debris on the ice, like that's going to be tough to pick that up, but that that's even more dangerous. Well, a you player can't do can, anything about that. But you right, can you can't do anything about that, but you can stick. pick up a glove. Right, and, and just you throw can it in the pick bench. up an, a stick that is intact 
Just throw it on the bench. Though I mean, the trainers, how many times do they have to get a stick for a player that breaks their stick anyways, and they're ready to yeah. go? They see what's happening out there. I know we're getting off on a little bit of a tangent, but folks, that but needs to be addressed. But that was a big play because it, it came right to Heinen in front, and that was one of Vasilevsky's best saves It It needs it night. needs to be addressed. And and by the way, too, we should say, you know, um, Mikhail Sergachev, Dave, had a terrible cross-checking penalty. What was in the first period? Post-whistle. around 740 yeah. post-whistle. He was benched for a little bit. In that game. But, on Rodriguez. Yes. And he responded pretty well, I thought, after the benching, as he should have, Dave. That, was a, that wasn't a very good penalty. And those are penalties that, honestly, when a team is, is struggling a bit maybe to find their game, that's unnecessary. That's post-whistle to a guy in Rodriguez who, by the way, is not going to fight you. He's on the ground. And, Dave, about 10 seconds passed before Sergachev decided to cross-check him. Yeah. I mean, usually I when mean, something like that happens, you cross-check the guy right away. It was, it was a whistle, like, and we were into the TV timeout. I don't understand Like, the commercials why. were playing yeah. when the referee reacted. That's how far after And you could tell Cooper was annoyed. The whistle. They, they showed his Very face. Annoyed. I mean, he was like, yeah. what are you doing? And like, that was the penalty kill in which Joseph had two kind of breakaways and, yeah. and couldn't get a shot off when he tried to pass. But that was also the the same man advantage for the Penguins, right. on which Rodriguez hit the crossbar. Yep. Yeah, I mean that Dave. Those are things like when you're struggling and you're not to- like you know what Phil would have said in that instance. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he said you're not mentally sharp. You're not mentally ready to play when you do or you something let your like emotions, that. You let right. your emotions because take the, over. I mean Evan Rodriguez. It's Evan yeah. Rodriguez. This isn't. You know, a guy who is taking liber- – a Matt Martin who, you know, is sniffing around the net and will take liberties with your goaltender. It's Evan And we Rodriguez. know about the cross-checking standard yeah. that is being held to a different standard, a tighter standard this year. So if you look at the shift chart, Sergachev had a shift after that, but that's because he came out of the penalty box. Right, yeah. He came out of the penalty box and, and play right. was going on. Lightning had three defensemen out there for – for about 10 seconds or so. I think his shift lasted about 17 seconds. Probably. And then he went to the bench, and he didn't see the ice again for the rest of the first period. So for all intents and purposes, his next shift after getting, well, certainly his next shift after getting benched, but his next shift after taking that penalty yeah. was the shift at the start of the second on which he delivered that pass that Kalorn one touched a point and the Lightning scored. For sure. For Big sure. response So for um, Sergey. Good for him. They're, they're and he got need rewarded him. with the empty netter. He too. did. And look, I I don't care if that's an empty netter, Dave. You know how we feel about Sergachev producing some offense this year, particularly with Kucherov being being injured and the team maybe struggling to find the right combinations. I think any offense you can get from your back end this year is almost the must. And it's it's good to see Sergachev fill the net. The star players, when I say star players, your top six forwards, I thought had a really nice game. Point, Dave, able to get a goal. Really yeah. early in that second period, I think that kind of set the tone. And then I think, I think for me, the play or the goal of the game, and you talked about it very well during the broadcast. Pittsburgh was buzzing. Now they were buzzing with Dominic Simone <laughs> and his line, and they had. Why gen- do you have they, to qualify that? I know because they I had, think, they I think had you have some, to factor in who was shooting. Though. They had some pressure, and it was you know, a, look, it was a long shift in which. Belmar, Bari Boulay, and Radish were stuck out there. Those are the three forwards for sure. And they couldn't get off the ice. And the second period is the period of the long change. And the Penguins had numerous shots and shot attempts during that shift. 
and Vassy made a bunch of saves to keep it 1-0. It could have been 1-1. And amazingly, and I say this amazingly, both Belmar and Barboulet at the end of that shift were able to make the plays, both of them. Belmar blocked that Dumoulin feed. I'll call it a feed because, I mean, he understands. He wasn't trying to catch the lightning in a change, but he understood that the lighting still had tired guys out there. He's trying to get the puck back in so they can just pick up with fresh players against mostly tired lightning players. The one guy who got off was Radish for Palat, who was fresh. That is a huge play by Belmar. Huge. Because he disrupts the pass, and it ends up coming right to Barry Boulay. So those are two guys who, I mean, forget tired. Like, those are the sorts of shifts... You talk to Cully about like what it's like to be on the ice. Jason Cullimore, who who is a regular contributor on Lightning Radio, like we have talked to Cully about what it's like to be on the ice in those situations. Like you can't even move your legs. Yeah. Well, like you feel point. like you're you're stuck in quicksand. And how are you gonna get off the ice? And so not only to to feel that way, but then to make the plays that Belmar and Barboulet made so that Palat, who was fresh, the one guy fresh, was able to to get off that look, tremendous. I mean, trying a great finish by Palat, too, but you're right. Instead of 1-1, potentially, it's 2-0, and that is a, a huge momentum swing, and I think the Penguins were affected on the next shift, the all-important shift after a goal, and the Lightning responded big time as they got another goal 10 seconds later. They did. We'll get into a bit more of that. We'll take your questions as well. I think we're also going to get into what's happening in Chicago. Not good. Yeah, We'll break that all down big when news. we return. Yeah, it is big news. Huge it, news. It is Power Lunch. He's Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linelli. It's Lightning Power Play. The 21st Annual Boat Run, presented by Advent Health, is Saturday, November 13th at Amelie Arena. The Boat Run has something for everyone in the family, with a 5K, 5-mile, and 1-mile family fun race. All registrants will receive a finisher's race medal, an official Boat Run t-shirt, and a ticket to a select upcoming lightning game. Virtual race options are also available that include lightning-inspired race routes and playlists. Visit tampabaylightning.com slash boatrun to sign up today. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. Bolts Nation, you feeling a bit better about that win? Come on. Feeling down about that Buffalo game, I can tell you that. That Twitter feed was just poison. Poison, Dave. And then. Well, they weren't, but, but here's better. the thing they were not outplayed by the Sabres. And I think that was the point we tried to make yeah. on yesterday's show. That to that point, the Lightning had played six games. Mm-hmm. And at least in my opinion, they'd been outplayed twice by a wide margin on opening night by the Penguins and by a less wide margin. But still, I, I give credit to the Panthers. I thought the Panthers did outplay the Lightning in that in that game at Amelie Arena on what was the 19th. Other people I've read felt that that game was basically a, a coin toss. That's fine. Everyone is entitled to their opinion. But even if you're agreeing with me and putting that one in the outplayed category, that still leaves four other games where, I mean, the Lightning weren't perfect. Certainly not. And there was a reason why they weren't getting two points out of all four of those games. But I, I do not believe that that they were stinking up the joint and, and getting 
outplayed or even dominated by the other team. And that was true on, on Monday for sure. But they needed to correct some things, and they did correct some things. I think that Vasilevsky did have a role, which meant that he was covering up some mistakes that were made. I made him my number one star for that reason, especially in that second period when the Penguins could have gotten on the board but didn't. And so the Lightning still would have had three, but would it have been 3-1? Could it have been 3-2? Much different feel going into the third period if it's a one-goal lead for the Lightning as opposed to a three-goal lead for the Lightning. And that was due to Vasilevsky. He was outstanding. Bob says the blue line was very supportive to a very good Vasi last night. I also liked how the D-men got involved in the offense. Good win tonight. Yes, agreed. That is uh, exactly Well, and the, D, the D-men getting involved, I mean, McDonough and Sergachev both had a goal and an assist, and, and we talked about the, the outlet passes. McDonough's assist was an outlet on the Kaloran empty net goal, but I really like seeing Ryan McDonough getting involved in the offense five-on-five five and shooting the puck that way because yeah. he has been assigned in a way – it's not a defense-first – roll with the Lightning because the Lightning want their D to be active. Remember game four against the Islanders last year when there's Ryan McDonough at the hash marks almost tying the game in the last second. So it's not like he just sits back, but it is clear that, you know, McDonough and Chernak are are the D pair that are often assigned against the other team's top line. And with that responsibility, you know, McDonough doesn't get as many offensive opportunities I would say maybe as he did earlier in his career he's not playing the number one power play and he did play the number two power play in the first period that's because Sergachev wasn't seeing any ice time so when McDonough scores it's usually you know going to be a five on five situation but we talk about Sergachev's confidence good for McDonough and that's a goal scorer shot he put past Jari there He's a guy that has that in him, but you're right. I he mean, does. He's, he's yeah. kind of taken one for the team, so to speak, in a positive way. I mean, they they haven't really needed him to be an offensive force back there, and they've won a couple of cups with him being arguably their best defensive defenseman. So Yeah, the reason he was in the conversation for the Conn Smythe yes. last year during the playoffs wasn't because he was going to lead all defensemen in points. It had to do with what he was doing at the other end of the ice. Which speaks to how good he was to a lot of people that – typically give that award to players who are more offensive-minded, Dave. I think right. that probably speaks to how great McDonough really was in those playoffs. Al says, uh, thought Point had extra jump last night. Glad to see him shooting and taking it hard to the net on the backhand. He did. I made him one of my three stars, and I think I said post-game, Greg, it was one of those games where you could have picked any number of Lightning players to, to choose as a star. I'm not disagreeing with you about the plot goal. That was a huge swing and a really important swing, and you blinked, and, and 2 nothing became 3 nothing. But I still feel the point goal burst the bubble a little bit yeah. for the Lightning in a good way. Well, it was the first time they had a lead. That's what I mean. All year, yeah. yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean, that, Finally, that they got been, rewarded, right? That had to have been a weight lifted off their shoulders, and maybe they weren't thinking about it at the moment, but I think when you're playing with the lead, Dave, for the first time, you kind of look up and say, oh, God, we don't have to hold those sticks so tight anymore. We can, we yeah. can play a little bit, and I, I think that does do something, confidence-wise, even 
psychologically a little bit to a professional athlete. When you're when you're in the driver's seat compared to somebody who's in the back seat trying to catch up, I think that does do something. And the Lightning, you know, look, are used to playing, I, I think, at times with the lead. It's why they've been really successful the last couple of years. And haven't seen it this year. I, I think we knew at some point that was going to be rectified. It was good to see mm -hmm. it happen to an offensively challenged team like the Pittsburgh Penguins, who you felt like if you could get a couple of goals on them, even though they did have some chances, they were going to get out of their comfort zone more so than, you know, had they had their star yeah, players. Yeah, that's where that missing lineup. the Latangs and the Carters sure. and the Crosbys and the Malkins can hurt. You, you, And look, they rallied in their second game against Florida because they were down in that game and then they were up. And then Florida rallied and ended up winning in overtime. But the Penguins, the Penguins had, had been able to rally in that game and grab the lead because their power play really helped them. And look, the power play would be even better if you know Crosby and and Malkin, Carter, and Latang were available in that game. I'm curious. But I think when you when when I think you look at a roster the way you have talked about the Penguins, like if you're taking some some game breakers out of their lineup, you do want to force them to chase as opposed to to, to having to chase where they can settle in and everyone just does his job right and and is concentrated on on frustrating you and foiling you as you were trying to pre press and get the game tied or get back in the game that that role was reversed last night I'm wondering it's a small sample size and we don't know what the penguins are going to look like with Crosby and Malkin back in the lineup along with Latang and Crosby's close by the way. He is. Josh He may be ready the for their next game which is yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, he, he felt like if it was a playoff game that Crosby would have been in the lineup. And he's and Yoey had told me from the Athletic that Malkin looks great skating. Now Probably more concerns with Malkin than Crosby because I think Crosby's game is more consistent, Dave, than Malkin's, although both clearly dynamic and, and Hall of Famers for sure. I'm wondering now that we've seen them twice and assuming there is a level of excellence in Latang, Crosby, and Malkin when they do come back, and I understand there's some variables there, is Pittsburgh better than maybe you thought heading into the season? Well, they've played very well as a team. So their their compete and urgency level has been extremely high, and they have showed great attention to detail. They did not last night, though. I mean, they gave up no, they some didn't. some glorious looks to the Lightning, and some of that might might have been a function of the fact that they were behind. But they did not get off to a great start, and you know, like I don't know if it stemmed from how easily the goals came against the Leafs, but that. <laughs> doesn't always happen but sometimes you do hear coaches say you know I wish we wouldn't have won by so many goals <laughs> because it's almost like hey we scored seven let's score six tonight and it just doesn't work that way and I think the hallmark early of this Pittsburgh team which we've heard from the people on the Pittsburgh side is like how dialed in they've been as far as like putting everything in in its right place and following the coach's directions to a T made probably more significant and more necessary given the fact they have all these guys who are out. You know, what did Tim Ben say yesterday? Like, Sully refers to to Crosby and Malkin and Latang. Like, those guys have earned the right, however he put it, like they've earned the right to be creative or however he put it. Basically, right. like, they can kind of go off on, on their own page 
at points because they are unique in their skill set. But for most other players, it's stick with the program, right? And so Sully, to this point, has had a team filled with players who have stuck to the program and done it very, very well. But sometimes when you have a blowout win, the next game, your attention to detail can can sag a little bit. That it can can wane a little bit. I don't know if that happened to the Penguins last night, but I can tell you this: it's not going to happen tomorrow. Because when you lose by multiple goals, the coach has your attention back. He does, and I think it's really hard to play the way the Pens play too for an eighty-two game season. That way, when you have to be so dialed in every game, I just I think it's hard to I think it's hard yeah. to do that for sixty minutes in a game let alone for a full season. That's right. why you see, you know, a lot of that's why you see peaks and valleys and why some games and the Lightning know this as well as anybody, Dave, you're just gonna have a game where it's five four. You know, and maybe Kucherov has three yeah. goals and five points and or Vassi just steals you a couple that you're not supposed to win. And it just it's how the game goes and how that's how it unfolds, but certainly there's a recipe there they're trying to play that is doing them well with the stars out. But I I it's really I, I want to reiterate Nice to see the Lightning score first and make an opponent feel a little uncomfortable yeah. being down. And I think I think that's something to uh, keep in mind as they take on a winless Arizona team, and we'll see how that plays out tomorrow yes. at Amelie Arena. Al wants to know, can the Lightning keep 86 out of the Olympics if they feel he's not 100%, or is it his choice? It's actually a good question. Yeah, and and I'm not certain of the answer, but my gut tells me, Al, that this is up to the player in the country. Like the Russian Olympic Committee or, or, you know, whoever's running their hockey program has to make an assessment on, like, is Kucherov going to be able to help us? But I'm not sure that, that the NHL team that holds the players' rights has a say in the matter. They can make a recommendation, maybe. So here's how I... But I'm not certain about that. Yeah, and this is strictly my opinion. My sense is, from what I've read and what I've heard and what I've been stunning up on, is the players really pushed for the Olympics. Yes, that is true. They really maybe had to agree to some things, Dave, that typically they wouldn't have agreed on had something like this come up at another time. And, you know, the biggest one was the insurance. And I don't want to get into the weeds of that because that can be complicated. But that was a a sticking point. I think maybe the players took on more responsibility for that than, than in other years. Let's put it that way. My sense is I think the team would have every right if a player is still not 100% to tell them you're not playing. However, because I think the players really wanted this, I don't think the team would get in their way. And that might be stupid on their part because that is your that is your asset that you're lending for another tournament that let's be pretty clear, yeah, winning a gold medal for your country, I have no idea how that feels. You Dave don't know how that feels. So I, in many ways I I can't relate on that. But I do know that there's one side paying you, there's one organization paying you and that the ultimate prize is to win another Stanley Cup and that the yeah. priority should be for that team. That being said, I think it's going to come down to the player. And I don't think the team and the player want to get into a contentious tit-for-tat battle in the public, open in the public, about whether or not that player should go. I think that could be a real big problem 
for a lot well, of we're players. We're seeing it play out in the Jack Eichel situation. Yeah, different, I, different that, that scenario. Could, sure. Or different circumstances, but similar scenario. To yeah, what I, just I think that described. could. I, I think a lot of bad things could come from it. Now, look, Dave. Somebody could come to me and say, "Well, Greg, I mean, a lot of bad things could come from a player playing in the Olympics getting hurt." And you know what, Dave? There's really no good response to that. Yeah, they're absolutely right. What I'm telling you is, in many ways, I don't know if this is the best scenario in a worst situation, but I feel like the teams outside of a really obvious injury and a player's not obviously 100%, like we're talking 50 or 60%, that's a big deal. You know what? You know, it's funny, and I'm thinking about this. I can remember, remember the last year Lemieux played in the in the Olympics? He had been hurt with the Penguins. Mm-hmm. He had a hip issue, Was that I 02? think. I think it was O2, the Salt Lake but City. He really wanted to play in the Olympics. Now he was the owner too, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, and the Penguins weren't very good that year, so I think it was a little easier for people to sit there and say because yeah, Lemieux had not played for the Penguins or he was injured, and he made it very known that he was going to the Olympics and he wasn't playing for the Penguins. And I got to tell you, that rubbed some people the wrong way. It really did. Now he's Mario Lemieux. Yeah, he's done a lot for that city. Maybe that's a completely different circumstance. I think it probably is because Kucherov's on a Stanley Cup contending team. Lemieux was not. Lemieux was also, I think, retiring. <laughs> so I, in some ways it was different, but the, the scenario was the same from the standpoint you had a marquee player who was hurt, who made a decision he was going to play in the Olympics at the expense of not playing for the team. I don't think that's going to happen with Kuch. I don't know. I just don't think this is going to be something that's going to be resolved in the public, and I don't think the team is going to stand in his way, Dave. And and let's see when he's able to come back. I mean, if he is able to come back, the timetable is he's able to come back. And I'm just throwing this date out there, but you know, you're starting to see reports. You know, eight weeks or so. I mean, I think Joe had that in there that he heard from a source, Joe Smith. Eight weeks. You're looking at early January, and he gets a portion of that time because the season is pausing right trying to remember when it pauses is it early february i'd say he gets half a month of of games with the lightning that's way different than him not being able to return for even one game and saying yeah i want to go to the olympics and then it comes down to like where is he in his rehab like how close is he to returning but that's way down the road We'll take a break. We'll come back, and uh, we'll keep taking those questions. Good question, Al. I mean, it, I think it is something internally that, that organizations have to weigh and are, are probably having those conversations. And look, the ones that are contending for a Stanley Cup and have multiple guys participating in the Olympics, it's, it's not an easy decision. But I think it's best to have those conversations privately than publicly, and I think yeah. that's probably where they are headed. The Chicago Blackhawks are in trouble, and you can understand why. We'll talk about that. When we return, what should some of the punishments be if these accusations are indeed true? And it does look like they are. Let's not rush to judgment, but I think it's something we need to discuss a little bit because it does deal with the National Hockey League. He is Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linelli. It's Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. Glad you're with us. Lightning will be taking on Arizona tomorrow at Amelie Arena. Dave and I, of course, will be on the airwaves noon to one. And then we'll be 
on the broadcast. Six o'clock will be the pregame skate show with Brian Burns and Bobby the Chief Taylor. Pregames at six thirty, and then of course Dave and Phil have the call. Phil Kessel still on the Arizona Coyotes, right, Dave? <laughs> yeah, he scored the other night against the Panthers. I mean, you know, we, we it was funny. We talked about Buffalo when we were looking at their roster, and we were like, I, I can't really find any dynamic players up front. A team that works hard, and they're getting yeah. most out of their talent. Jacob I mean, Phil, Chikrin had a good year last year. I mean, he's a good young player. He on, is, on and the I, I, you know, I know, I know. Phil Kessel doesn't look the part. Phil Kessel, when it's all said and done for him, Dave's going to have some serious numbers. I know, kind of an enigma. It's kind of the way he goes about his business a little bit, and I know some coaches have had a tough time getting through to him, but he's got one of the best wrist shots in the game still. Yeah, coming down that wing, he can snipe it. He may go five games and not do anything, but then he could have himself a night. But he's a guy that, you know, if the Lightning are, are doing their scouting reports and they know these guys, that you got you to gotta keep an eye on Phil Kessel, you know, regardless of where he's on the ice because he's somebody who, with that shot, can make, can make something happen. Um, where do you want to go? Do you want to go with Chicago a little bit here at yeah. the show? So, so you talked about, like – what is the NHL going to, I forget how you put it before the break, but like you made it sound as though details are still coming out. And I think the NHL has finished its investigation. So what the NHL is and was looking at is different than what may happen potentially in terms of some lawsuit or anything in the court of law is different. (laughs) I don't know if it's going to come to that. And it's been a, it's been a while. I mean, these these uh, incidents and and what the NHL was investigating happened in 2010. But the NHL has its own standard of conduct, and and it is based on that that they are doling out. I'll say doling out punishment. We had two resignations yesterday. Stan Bowman and Al McIsaac from the Hawks based on what came out from this investigation. But the league clearly took it very seriously. So the thumbnail sketch, best I can, and, and I am not as informed as, as some of the reporters who did incredible reporting on this, including, I believe it was Scott Powers in Chicago who broke the story. If not for him, none of this may have come to light. Yeah. But essentially what happened was in – in the 2009-2010 season, the Hawks ended up winning the Stanley Cup that year, their first cup with this current group right. in, in in this generation, not going back was to 1961. Was Taves the captain? Steve and I yes. were talking. Was he the captain yeah, at the time? he was. So their video coach, according to, to what was unearthed. Brad Aldrich. Yes. He propositioned one of the players who was not named and again this is according to the to both the reporting and the investigation that the NHL did threaten the player if if he didn't consent with him I mean I don't know exactly how to put it exactly but it was it was harassment for sure and the league actually said like it's unclear after so many years exactly if this was consensual or not but I, I mean i guess if the way i read it is if it was consensual it's because the player was threatened like this video coach said he's gonna he's gonna you know damage the the, the young player's career and was a young player so this happened 
there were other incidents with this video coach, including one with an intern who rebuffed the advances, but this came out in the investigation as well. So the Hawks had just wrapped up the Western Conference final. They swept San Jose that year. And within an hour of them winning that fourth and final game, there was a meeting that was held with a number of the the top executives, including the GM and Joel Quenville and some of the assistants. The assistant GM at the time was Kevin Sheveldayoff, who is now the GM of the Winnipeg Jets. Al McIsaac, who was an executive with the Hawks, was, was in the meeting, as was Stan Bowman. And one of the coaches had had been told about what was happening, not the video coach, obviously, and an informed management. So the, the discussion was, what do we do with this? And what they decided to do, and this is probably more long-winded than the fans need, but what they decided to do was sit on it. Yeah, they, they, they didn't say anything about it for three weeks. They ended up winning the Stanley Cup. And the video coach actually, you know, got to participate in the parade, got his name on the cup, got his day with the cup, and then he resigned after that season. But the Hawks didn't actually address this, and he subsequently went on to a university at which, you know, more allegations were made. And so, needless to say, the NHL was not happy with how all of this was handled. And Bowman and McIsaac resigned. It is unclear if if they resigned because they felt they should resign. If the Hawks asked them to resign, if the NHL, I think Gary basically Bettman, told them, I think Gary Bettman had a little conversation. Yeah, I mean, maybe that. But saying, but you know? what you need to know is Bettman's statement said that if if these guys want to work again in the NHL, they are going to have to go through Bettman essentially. So where we are now is the NHL is talking to Joel Quenville and Kevin Sheveldayoff, yeah. both of whom denied earlier when the report was broken, I guess over the summer, they denied knowing anything about it, but the investigation proved otherwise, that they were involved in this meeting. And I think the, the concern from the Hawks' standpoint at the time was we're going into the Stanley Cup final. This is not a distraction and this is the word, I guess, that was used, distraction. It's not my word. I'm relaying what I read that we need right now. And so, look, with hindsight, everything is always much more clear. There have been a couple of Hawks players that were on that team that have been very forthcoming. Brent Sopel, I know, was one of them who said, yeah, the players knew. Other players that were interviewed from that team said they either didn't know at the time and learned about it when when the reporting happened, or they still didn't know. And Sopel is, you know, basically saying in a statement that you know they're still working for the Hawks. You know, like they're yeah. in a they're in a tough spot, but he basically sometimes it takes courage, and that's the word that I come back to. It it, it would have and should have happened where they should have summoned the courage to do the right thing at the time they didn't can I understand why they didn't I understand why they didn't but it doesn't make it right I understand that here you are you're about to go into the Stanley Cup final and this is a potential bombshell you don't want that bomb going off right before 
you're about to play for the Stanley Cup. I understand that, but it doesn't make it right. And 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 what I thought about since reading this this report, Greg, and I know I've done a lot of talking, so I'll let you chime no, in you're here. you're fine. You're fine. What I come back to is the hockey culture, and we hear about the hockey culture, right? Like it's team, 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 and I guess you could interpret the way they reacted to it about like the hockey culture is 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 wrong in its priorities here that the winning of the cup superseded kind of the the moral path the path that that in retrospect we look back and like yeah they they should have they should have acted differently but part of the hockey culture is also looking after your own you know it's it's Hockey is the ultimate no I in team type of sport. We see that on the ice. We see that in the locker room. We see it all the time. And what I kept thinking about, Greg, is the Hawks circled the rat or the wagons around the wrong guy. They, they, they protected, in a sense, the wrong person. The person that should have had the circles, the wagon circled around them, was the John Doe. That's who the Hawks, in retrospect, in my opinion, anyway, should have rallied around. It showed, and that would have been very consistent with the culture of the sport. It showed. I'm trying to take the emotion out of it because you're right. We weren't in those shoes. We'd like to think we would have dealt with it differently, Dave, had we been in those shoes. But we don't know if we were put in that situation. And so we do have hindsight's 2020. But everything you just said about the culture in hockey, both good and bad, leads me to the conclusion, in my opinion, that a lot of people there were gutless. You can say, you know, lack the courage, but they they rallied around the wrong per- they ra- think about this. They rallied around a video coordinator instead of one of their own players. To the point that they they sent this guy off with no black mark against him. And I mean, that is the part too, that you're like, this guy had subsequent incidents at a university. Well, and with that's college the students. other bomb that was dropped. And I did not know that. And I think you had mentioned it to Steve before we came on the air. He had an issue at it. Was it a university before the Chicago Blackhawks? And then he left afterwards and apparently did something very similar to – was he at another university? No, it was, it was at Miami University afterwards. Afterwards. And okay, after so he didn't that, do anything before. After that at a high school in Michigan. So there was a history there, – there was a pattern here of behavior that might have started during Chicago. Maybe it was before. I'd like to know who did the background checks on this guy because it sounds like that wasn't the first time that maybe this guy preyed on somebody who was vulnerable. And that's what this player was who was named John Doe in the Yeah, it sounds report. like he was a tweener guy. Yeah, and I don't I mean you always add extra players in the playoffs. But Dave But what, they've kept his they kept his identity. What I found so shocking in this in report secret. is that I, I think you bring up a really good point and that they rallied around and, and you can use a different word than that, but I you know, circled or rallied around the wrong guy. It sounds like they did it intentionally. But what I keep coming back to is, why did you protect a video coach? I told Steve before we came on the air, to me, if I'm Chicago, 
in that situation, and again, I, I don't know how I would have handled that, so I, I understand that, but this is, this is where we are, and this is the information that's presented, that if an allegation came out during a Stanley Cup run in the finals that one of my players was sexually assaulted, and you can read the reports, folks, to see what, what actually happened. It's pretty disgusting. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not. If I'm Chicago, I'm not spending one minute defending a video coach. And in many ways, it's probably sad that I'm thinking this way, that maybe if it was a high-ranking assistant coach, Dave, maybe if it was a GM, you could see it not being brought to the public's attention or brought to anybody's attention because those are higher on the food chain when you start talking about NHL personnel. But the video coach is expendable. Let's speak in reality here. That's an easy cut. You know, it's it's like it's like the third base coach for a baseball team. <laughs> you know, so you want to make changes in the offseason. You don't necessarily want to make the changes with the manager, but you say, oh, we're going to really make some changes here. We're going to get rid of the bullpen coach, and we're going to get rid of the first and third base coach. Okay, go ahead. You think that's going to make a damn difference? No, it's not. There are hundreds of video coaches out there who could have done the job that guy did. And the fact that Chicago chose to protect him off what sounds like pretty good evidence that this was, this was a predator, they should be ashamed of, your, of themselves. So the, the, the second part of this, what should because everybody's talking about and, and they're throwing out bombs about what should the penalty be. Dave, there's what, what we think the penalty should be and what the penalty will actually be. There have been people who said, well, you got to take the Stanley Cup banner away. No, they're not going to do that. No. They're not going to do that, nor, nor do I think they should. Does Joel Quenville, if he's found well, to be a guy that was yeah, really had a hand that, in this? That is him and Shevel Dayoff. That is the next and I don't domino here. to drop if it's going to drop because I think Steve said that Quenville is meeting with Batman today. Right. And, and it so sounds they are like not, they are not messing around here, Greg. Yeah, like they are getting to the bottom of this. And they shouldn't. And they shouldn't. And so I think in an era today where, as we have seen in other sports, your secrets aren't secrets anymore. I think we live in a society where if somebody – I mean, look at the John Gruden thing. Different example, yeah. but you understand what I'm that saying. Is that a was an example. email. But it was in an email, yeah. and the guy is fired – this is a lot worse than that. Well, and here's the thing, Greg. We don't know who this this player was. We don't know how old he was. But, you know, players, when they join an organization, like, in a way, they, they are entrusting their well-being to the organization. Physical well-being, mental well-being. Yeah. Productivity, well-being, if that's the right way of putting it, in terms sure. of, like, reaching their potential. And the Hawks failed this player. They failed this player in... In so many ways. In so many ways and in, in so many damaging ways. Like, this player might not... I mean, it sounded like... Because reading the report, when they had some morning skates during this cup run, and he was on with some of the Black Aces and extras, and he saw this video coach watching them on the bench, he said, I immediately became scared... And I think the night that the allegations happened, he ran into, uh, he put his clothes on, ran to his apartment, and locked his door. Yeah. I mean, the mental 
abuse this person is enduring, which I'm assuming is, is look, the fact that this is brought up again 10 years later, Dave, I'm sure it's not helping his mental no, psyche. And, and I guess the next year we're getting bits and pieces out to you you guys folks so or to, to you folks so sorry about that i didn't read the report beginning to end but i i read some of the clips i guess the next year you know he was in rockford which is their ahl affiliate the hawks right. ahl affiliate and the coach was was deposed the coach at the time was deposed he said yeah i got the sense that that the player was really bothered by what had happened the previous playoff run he, and he was asked like did you ever talk to the player about it he said no, but I heard the rumors, and his performance wasn't wasn't at the level that it had been at. So before. I, I I I will just end with this because you do want to hear the other side of the story. I think we do yeah, live and in it's a society not just about and it's not just about how the player played on the ice. But I think I just come back to the fact that here's a young player. Right. He he put his trust in the organization as every young player does. They do. You trust the organization to steer you in the right direction and and to take care of you on they some basic level. I'm not talking about abdicating personal responsibility. Sure. I'm not talking about that. But just like like my kids go to a school and I am entrusting the school to have their well-being at heart. Same Correct. with your girls. Correct. It's a little different when, you know, you're your your child is seven as opposed to let's say 21 or 22 but a 21 22 year old starting his career in an organization like that same trust is being put by the player into the organization i agree wholeheartedly and, and they did not they did not they failed him they failed him yeah they did fail they him didn't and they didn't reward that trust so because they, of that they violated that trust. they did they did and and it's egregious and um they're going to have to pay for that in some way. And my opinion with it, and you're starting to see some people resign, and that's fine. Joel Quenville obviously is the bigger fish here because he's a Hall of Fame coach. He's with a new organization. I'm sure he's well-respected within the league for sure. Yeah. But if it's true that he did know about this and chose to protect the Predator, Far be it for me to tell the league what they should do with Joel Quenville, but I, I would think a lengthy suspension is at the very least on the table and maybe never participating in the NHL again yeah, is on the, precedent, the table as well. So here's the thing. The precedent has been set with Bowman and McIsaac because ultimately they apparently just like sent it up the flagpole, right? Like they yeah. sent it to they the did. CEO and said, you know, we passed on this information and, 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 you know, our boss said that he would take care of it and he didn't. That was Bowman's statement basically yesterday. And that didn't matter to, to the situation they're in now. Bowman is out as GM of Team USA for the Olympics. And if he's ever going to work at the NHL level again, he's going to have to make his case to Gary Bettman. Yeah, and it That's sounds the like precedent. That's the, the precedent that's been set for the people who were in that meeting yeah that took place and this is where i think you need to be truthful and you need to tell the truth you know you tell your kids tell the truth no matter what because the truth is better than lying it looks like joel quenville at the very least was caught contradicting his statements and there's enough evidence to suggest that he wasn't telling the truth that's a man who was in charge of young men and he's supposed to be the leader of the team as the head coach and if this is true that he did cover it up, 
in addition to everybody else involved, I, I don't want to leave anybody else off the hook, I think at least a year-long suspension is appropriate. And if you were to sit here and make the case, Greg, you never think he should be in the NHL again, I can certainly sit down and, and listen to your arguments because I'm not sure I disagree with that either. But that's where we are. It should be taken the, lightly. The justice that, that will be doled out or may be doled out will be swift, though. Yeah. I think I think the league is going to want to. They got their report. I mean, they didn't they didn't take this lightly. I think they brought in a former U.S. attorney to do the investigation, yeah. the district attorney, and it was a comprehensive report. And I don't, by the way, the league wanted me. to the league wanted to find out exactly what happened. And yeah. now that they have, they are acting swiftly. And this this is me speculating. This is just my personal opinion. You can't tell me that the players didn't know. I kind of agree. And that's with a, that's a whole other yeah, topic I agree for discussion. We probably need a whole yeah. other show about. We'll do that, that. tomorrow. No, <laughs> right? But but they were not in. They were not quite peers, maybe because there were more veteran guys. Yeah. But they were not in the in the same position as the decision makers. Sure. But it still takes courage, and it can come from it anywhere. It still takes courage. It You're can right. come from Brent, anywhere. Brent Sopel is correct. I, I would, he is and, correct. Yeah, and I, I think that's um, – again, we don't know what we would have done, so it's hard to judge. But unfortunately, a lot of guys didn't do anything, and that was unfortunate. You would think at least one or two guys would would step up. And, were, and Greg, I just want to close with this because we've go gone over a little bit. Regular listeners to our show know – like we have opinions, but we try and be as fair and objective as we can. We're usually talking about what's happening on the ice. Yes. You know, I did give some thought to this after the news broke yesterday. I knew we were coming on today, and and I felt that we couldn't not talk about it. This is, yeah. this is the biggest story of the year in the NHL, and, and maybe beyond this year, in the past and in the future. This is a huge, huge story, and one that that warranted our our attention today but like like all things i try and i try and come at this from as as objective a perspective as i can and nobody is completely objective because we all have our biases and and you know our experiences help form how we think about things but I'm not one for like the mob mentality. And I mean, again, you know me well enough. Mm -hmm. Like I don't really ascribe to that, but this was, this was a huge deal. Mm -hmm. And, and the Hawks had a massive organizational failure here at, unfortunately at the expense of at least, at least one of their own. And apparently other people subsequently after they let this guy walk, but with basically his reputation intact. Which and they're going to have to live with that. That's um, not our, if you believe in the afterlife, it's not ours to judge, but <laughs> at some point um, you're going to have to answer for that. And, and we'll see how that um, plays out with the NHL. We're going to end on a high note. Lucas, yes, let's do Lucas says, where is the segment where Dave sings happy birthday to Greg? Such a, pro. I didn't even know it was your birthday He's today. Is today your birthday? It's my birthday boys. My birthday. It's, I'm 41 years old. Happy birthday. Thank you. You going to have some cake today? or My wife ordered donuts from a special place that we're going to have. We're going to pick them up. And uh, I'm going to get my presents. 
Very nice. And um, of course, the biggest present here, along with being with my family, is is doing the show. Yes. Day, well, it, your birthday what a treat fell for me. Your birthday fell on an off day, so you have the night. It did. Free. I looked at it in a very positive way. Yeah. And uh, it's happy very birthday, good. Greg. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. And um, everybody else, have a great day. I have to go on the Pat and Aaron show, so I'm uh, probably dampers my my birthday spirits uh, coming up here in about an hour. <laughs> but that's okay. I, I'll, I'll pretend that uh, all is well. No, I'm just joking. I like being all with those guys. Uh, but we'll be on tomorrow noon to one. And uh, we'll get you set for Arizona. Be a lot of fun. Partner, great job as always. Uh, we, yep. we got into some deep stuff, but I thought it was yeah, good. Yeah, we did. And it was we good did. stuff to uh, at least talk about it. And, uh, Steve, thank you for your work as well. Thanks to our listeners. We always appreciate it. Hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio. It is Power Lunch on Lending Power Play.